So it's beautiful. I mean, it's, uh, <clears throat> we've been talking, um, I've, been, I've been thinking a lot about concluding this year, 2022. Uh, we know that, uh, you know, God lives in, uh, in, in eternity. Uh, we live in time. We live in both realms. Um, we do live in time spaces like 2022. And those time spaces can have memory and memories. Um, and those memories are often based on events that would have taken place during the year. Um, so we've been talking uh, inside of the eldership space about finishing the year consolidated, finishing the year refreshed, finishing the year in a contemplative mood, and finishing the year uh, stirred for 2023, which is the upcoming time space. So I'm just throwing these, these not, that's not my teaching, but I'm just throwing this because I want to invite you into that reality as well. Um, like, how do we want to finish 2022? This, this year, 2020, we want to finish the year consolidated. We want to finish the year uh, refreshed, contemplative, thinking in other words. Remember the word remembrance? Yeah? Remembrance, remembrance means contemplation, reflection. We want to finish the year stead for 2023. We want to finish the year refreshed, not fatigued. You know? We don't want to like, oh, yeah, come. We don't even have enough time in December to, to rest because we're so fatigued. Um, and yes, we've been stretched this year. We've been stretched left and right, but we are refreshed by the Lord and renewed by the Lord, by his grace. And so I think by his grace, we're able to finish the year refreshed. Just the memory of what God has done refreshes us. Just thinking about what God has done refreshes us. So I want to invite you into that reality. Do you want to do that? Be consolidated. Be refreshed. Be contemplative. Think about what God has done, the goodness of the Lord inside of your life. But also be, allow the Lord to stay you, to begin to cause you to dream in different aspects of your, of your life. Your personal life, your devotional life, your, your career life, your business life. Let the Lord stay you uh, for 2023 just in terms of what, you know, what could happen. In your academic life, for those of us who are still in school, uh, be stead. Um, look at your neighbor and say, be stead. Yeah. So we want to be stead, and I think that's, that's a beautiful thing. And uh, we do have some upcoming stuff that, you know, Mess is going to announce, you know, in the coming weeks. Uh, of course, you know, I'm excited that we're going to get the opportunity to speak to the couples and impart to the couples. We haven't done that in a long time. Uh, Courtney does not know. Courtney and Carl don't know what that looks like. <laughs> Only Zoom. No, Zoom is not, doesn't give you a true picture. I guarantee you that. I need to dust off my playlist. I need to do all those things. <laughs> it's going to get go down proper. So, so it's good that we're going to have, you know, uh, but really, pastorally, we felt, hey, let's grab the opportunity to impart to the couples before the end of the year. I think that's important because we haven't done so. Uh, you know, uh, looking at the worship team doing their thing, hasn't this been a, an amazing journey for these guys? Yeah. Don't you want to give God a hand of praise? Yeah. I, think, I think it's been really amazing. I think it's really been amazing. And I know that what's lined up, you know, is as much mess is going to tell you, <laughs> is that these guys will get to tell their story before the end of the year, one of the Sundays. Uh, just the story of the worship team um, and what God has done 
and inside of that space, and I was looking at them just doing their thing like, you know, and God has done something amazing. I think Keegs has done something amazing in terms of just stewardship of the team. Do you want to give God a hand of praise for Keegs? Yeah, he's like, I think he's done an amazing job. <laughs> he's the man. Whose husband is this? Whoa, man. <laughs> Puku is like, uh, <laughs> what is this romantic thing going on here? You know, but it's going to be beautiful to hear the story. Just, you know, I want to dedicate one Sunday for the guys to tell the story. And obviously, I have my portion in that story that I'm gladly going to tell. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to that. You know, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been an amazing, <laughs> it's been an amazing year. You know, beginning from Feb, like I said last Sunday, uh, you know, Holy Spirit baptism and, and what that unleashed. Church without the Holy Spirit is nothing. In fact, church can't be church without the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so we need the Holy Spirit. And it's been beautiful that he, he has been journeying with us. Um, so LSA, I spoke to you last Sunday about growing in the, in the mission of God. How many of us remember that? Growing in the mission of God. You remember that? Yeah, I want to I wanna go back to that word and speak that. And uh, uh, 10 to 5 to want to be done so that Lord Shedding does not overtake us, um, you know, and I did start us off last Sunday, and I really just wanted to talk to you and to speak to you, um, and highlight certain things, and let's feel the weights of the Lord as we, as we go back to that word and, and see what God is saying. We started off, and I started you off last Sunday uh, by reading Psalm 18, verse 19. Uh, Psalm 18, verse 19, it's good to have, I know that we have the screen, but it's good to have your Bibles, yeah? And to know where the books are. <laughs> it's easy these days because you just press, you know, search, you know. Back in the days, you know, you couldn't go backwards looking for Matthew and the book of Revelation and go, and go to your left. <laughs> then you knew you were not reading your Bible, yeah? You know, if you're looking for the book of Jude, it's easy these days with cell phones and all these gadgets. You know, I feel like these gadgets don't help us to be students of the Word of God in some sense. And I'm joking. <laughs> Psalm 18, verse 19. He also brought us, he brought me out of disaster. That's the context. He brought me out of disaster into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. I want that to be the testimony of the people of LSA as we close the year. He brought me out of disaster. I put disaster because that's the context within which the psalmist is speaking here. He brought me out of a crisis. He brought me out of a challenging time. He brought me out of a challenging season into what the psalmist calls the broad place. Let's say the broad place. Yeah, it's a place of expansion. There's a place when we're stepping into the things of God, stepping into the purposes of God, where we're breaking all forms of limitation, uh, uh, limitations that are imposed by life on us, and limitations that are imposed by the enemy on us. Man, life can impose all these limitations. <laughs> you know, we've been having these conversations, you know, inside of the eldership team. And like, like, like uh, you know, Sunday mornings, managing all these dramas of life. And all these things are meant to constrict and to limit you. So that you come to, to the meeting unable to deliver. He also brought me out into a broad Place. I want that to be the testimony of the people of LSA. I also read Isaiah chapter 46, verses 3 to 4. 
And Isaiah, and this again is our testimony. Isaiah 46, verses 3 to 4. Listen to me, O house of Jacob. We can put, instead of O house of Jacob, we can put LSA. Listen to me, LSAs. Isaiah chapter 46, verses 3 to 4. Listen to me, O house of Jacob. Listen to me, O LSA. All you who remain, or all you who are the remnant of the house of Israel, you whom I have upheld since you were conceived and have carried since your birth. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he, I am he. The constancy of God, the unchanging God, the you know, forever faithful God, I am he in the evolution of your life, I am he. I am the God who does not change. I am the God who keeps his promise. I am he, I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and will carry you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. This is God talking and speaking to the remnant. The remnant is that which remains after an experience of disaster, of crisis, after some challenge. Back in the days, the context would be maybe there's been a war. Uh, a city has been attacked and invaded. People have been killed and people have been captured to a foreign land. And what remains in the city is what would be called the remnant. The remnant. And so this word is geared towards that remnant. Uh, that, that which remains after a crisis or after a disaster. I have upheld you, God says, not just simply from the day that disaster began to happen, but since you were conceived, since I had you in my mind, since I had LSA in my mind, I upheld you and I carried you since the time of your birth. And so he says, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he, I don't change, the constancy of God. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you. And I was looking at that again uh, after last Sunday. I have made you. It's like God is, I, I've made you to be wired a certain way. I've made you to, 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 to be a certain kind of people. I have formed you through doctrine, but also through circumstances. God says, I have made you. You are who you are because of my formation inside of your own heart. And so he says, I will carry you, I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. I, I noted that when God says I will rescue you, means that there's going to be some future disaster still. And God says, I'm, I'm going to show up yet again to rescue you from those disasters in the future. That's what God says. And this is a beautiful scripture um, that we read, um, you know, and so, and so God, God says, you haven't just survived. I haven't just showed up in the moment of crisis, but I have been there since your conception. And that's when we look at the word predestination. Let's say that word together again, predestination. This is a big doctrinal or theological word, which takes us to Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30. These are post-pandemic testimonies of God inside of our own lives. Pre, uh, predestination. In Romans 8, verses 28 to 30, and we know that in all things, in how many things? How many things? 
all things. Good things and bad things, bad things in other words. We know that in all things, God, do we look at your neighbor and say, do you really know? So in other words, you are asking them, do you really know this? Paul is assuming, he's writing this almost like it's an assumed position that we know. He says, and we know that in all things. Look at your neighbor again and say, do you really know? We know that in all things God works. The, 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 the operations of God. The wheels turning inside of our lives. God works for the good. That word good means he works to profit us. It's only God who can take a, a, a negative circumstance and turn it around to profit you and I. He works to profit us. You know, that's, that does not make business sense, right? You know, you don't expect profit where you have not been selling, where you haven't, haven't had, you know, good, you know, sales. But God is saying, even in a time of loss, you're going to find that in your spreadsheet, there's going to be profit. God works for the good. He works for the benefit, in other, other words, says, or the other meaning of that word good there, for the, to benefit us or to make us profitable of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. But the question for you and I is, do we really know this? In other words, is this a, a deep-seated revelation inside of my heart that God works for the good in all things? Do I face situations of life with that kind of attitude that God works for the good in all things, in all things, in all situations? God works for the good. God works to profit me. You know, even in times of loss, God is working some profit. He's working some benefit inside of my own life. Do I really know that? Do I approach life with that kind of attitude, with that kind of mentality? In verse 29, for those God for you, he also predestined, that's the word there, predestined to be conformed. Predestined to be conformed. That word conformed, again, is a big word. means to be formed together as a collective, as a company of people. He works together to be conformed. He predestined. For those God for you, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. So the objective of God is that you and I look like Jesus. And is that we as a collective look like Jesus one day. For those God for you, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. The end game is not a bunch of activities. The end game is a people who look like Jesus. The end game is a people as a collective who look like Jesus. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of maybe easy to set a goal for myself to look like Jesus. But what God is after is that when he looks at me, he looks at Kiggs and Mafa, when he looks at the three of us and the way life works amongst us, he must see Jesus. That's what, so it's the collective process reflecting the Christ. How powerful is that? Now that's a lot more complicated than just me wanting to look like Jesus. Because me wanting to look like Jesus means you know, I pretty much have things within within control, right? I can maybe set my goals, I can, I can work out my growth, but here is that, this word conformed means all of LSA looking like Jesus. So it means that, you know, if we're all pressing into Christ and there's, that's why when community doesn't work, the, the point is not just 
church administration. The point is the spiritual dynamics of that. When there's offense, the point is not just, oh, there's, there's need for pastoral counseling. The point is the disruption in the process of being conformed. So each time we, we, we stumble, and in the stumbling process, we affect the dynamic of community, the, the issue is not just the issue of pastoral counseling. That can always be done. That's not the issue. Each time we stumble in our marriage, each time we stumble as in our friendships, the issue is not just that, oh yeah, we need some pastoral counseling. Yeah, that can be done. That's easy. The, the real issue is a disruption of the mission to look like Jesus as a collective. That's the real frustration. That's the real warfare that churches are faced with. So for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So God is forming this powerful community where Jesus is the firstborn. He is a big brother amongst many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. And so you and I must live in the territory of predestination. Look at your neighbor and say, live in the territory of predestination. Yeah. And in that territory of predestination means that life has been predefined by God for me. Life has been predetermined by God for me. It means that my capacity and my passions have been pre-configured by God. I'm not, this, I'm not just forming these passions in 2022. I'm actually just discovering what has always been there in the mind of God for me. My job is to discover, is to become, and it, it is to obey. It means there is no circumstance. There is no circumstance, good or bad, that affects the process of predestination. God doesn't say, oh, oh I didn't consider that detail or that situation there. Everything has been factored to lead you and I towards the territory of predestination, provided we're hearing, we're obeying, and we're becoming. We have to be where we're meant to be, LSA, with the people we're meant to be with, doing what we're meant to be doing. We've got, that's what predestination means. We've got to be where we're meant to be, with people that we're meant to be with, Doing the things that we're meant to be doing. We're not forming passions along the way for ourselves. We're simply discovering, becoming, and obeying. We're discovering, becoming, and doing. We've got to be where we're meant to be. The people, the people around you and I must be people that are ordained by the Lord. Not by the social circumstances of the day. Not by social circumstances of the day, but people ordained by the Lord to surround my life. We've got to be where we're meant to be with the people that we're meant to be with doing what we're meant to be doing. Our friends must be ordained by God. Our spouses must be ordained of the Lord. We've got to be where we're meant to be with people we're meant to be with doing what we're meant to be doing. We're not crafting these things along the way. 
We're not picking and choosing friends as we will. We see what God is doing and we populate our lives, our social circles with those people that God wants around us. That's what predestination means. We've got to be where we're meant to be with the people we're meant to be with. We don't want to be misaligned in our social orbits, in our relational orbits. God ordains. He sets the lonely in families. He ordains, he populates you know, our social circles with people. And we've got to be doing the things that have been ordained by the Lord for us to do at this point in time. We've got to love what God loves for us. We've got to develop a heart for those things that God loves for us. Love the things that God loves for you. Oh, don't love your own stuff. Love the things God loves for you. Develop a, a heart for the things that are God's preference for your life. What does he prefer? It's, it's, not, about, it's not about your feelings. It's not about your offense. It's about the Lord's will and, and the Lord's preference. To walk in the territory of predestination means exactly that. That I'm, I'm growing in loving what God loves for me. I am where I'm meant to be, with the people I'm meant to be with, doing what I'm meant to be doing. And so in the process, my job is not to manufacture life, it is to discover life. To discover it, to become the things that God has ordained for me, and to do the things that God has ordained. That word predestination means my limitations have been preset by God. The boundary lines have been drawn long before I could exercise my will. Long before I could make judgment of things, God has drawn the boundary lines over my life. And so I'm operating within those boundaries. Do, can you, with certainty, stand up here and say, hey, I'm, 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 I'm pretty much within the divine circle of God. I have not violated his boundary lines for my life. Not through poor decision-making, not through poor judgment, not because I was impulsive emotionally, or not because I acted out of offense. I have resolved the things that need to be resolved because I treasure predestination. And so that means I mean, I'm on a journey of being conformed, of being conformed to Jesus together with a company of people. So here's the thing about church. You know, God, you know, so the word says, you know, God sets the lonely in families. He, he adds to the church. So all churches are churches that belong to Jesus. They all have different missions and unique, you know, flows. And, but they are universal principles that are standard all across the churches. If we disrupt our placement, we also equally disrupt life. Yeah? It's almost like, Courtney could only be married to Carl. This thing wouldn't work in any other way. It's like there are processes, there are journeys, there are preset experiences that they are meant to walk into together. And, and that they've been made by God, wired by God, that when they hit those situations, life is going to play out a certain way. Yeah? 
And if a man to be in this community, it means therefore the, 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 the lines of the filters of predestination, the layers of predestination means that actually this is where Malus is supposed to be. And so his choices have been made through my choices. Yeah? Predestination flows that, that way. Kanyiso's choices have been made through the choices of her parents. And that's how this thing works. Your life has been predefined and predetermined. Your capacity, your passions are not defined by your academic qualifications. They are planted inside of your own heart by the Lord himself. You simply discover these things along the way. And so, living in the territory of predestination is going to be very, very important for us. Growing in the mission of God. Growing in the mission of God. Growing in the mission of God is stepping, is landing into the territories of predestination. That more and more life feels like, yeah, it's like a deja vu, like, like I've been here before. It feels like I've been here before. Because it, there's a testimony of the Spirit inside of my own heart that agrees with what is playing out. The people around me are wired a certain way. Yeah. Growing in the mission of God. And, and we said last Sunday, the first thing you and I have to confront in growing in the mission of God is the spirit of barrenness. The spirit of barrenness. The spirit of barrenness. And we have a whole list of people in the word of God who have had to confront the spirit of barrenness. Barrenness basically is when life refuses to bear fruit according to the will of God. The issue is not just life bearing fruit. The issue is life bearing fruit according to the will of God. So Ishmael, you remember Ishmael, Abraham's son? Ishmael is life bearing fruit. But Isaac is life-bearing fruit according to the will of God. And God rejects Ishmael. He rejects that which, the fruit which does not reflect his will. So you and I don't just want a fruit, but we want a fruit that reflects the will of God. And barrenness is that spirit that will frustrate you and I from pressing into the things of God up until the time when we start to have, um, you know, um, uh, off roots, and um, we start to take, take, move out of the highway that God has set for us and take our own highways. That's when Ishmael's are produced, in the moment of frustration, when time seems to be ticking, when it seems like the word that God spoke to, to my life is not, you know, showing up, is not coming to a manifestation. That's when we start going, we're going to start. You know, having all these other ideas leading to Ishmael's. The thing about Ishmael is that the seed was from the right man, Abraham, right? But the vessel was from a wrong woman. And so God still canceled it. He said it's incorrect. The seed was from the right man. The vessel was from the wrong woman. It means the will of God, you know, God looks into the details of his will. He looks into who are the midwives helping you and I to bear fruit. Who are the people that are becoming the womb to carry for us or together with us the things that God wants to produce in the earth. Barrenness is life 
refusing to bear fruit according to the will of God. And so we have a whole list of people, we mentioned them last Sunday, who have had to deal with barrenness. Abraham and Sarah, of course, dealt with barrenness. And we saw God dealing with this man, Abraham, when he was 99 years and, you know, speaking his word into his heart. And, and it was a challenging, beautiful process, but very challenging. Then we have Isaac and Rebekah dealing with barrenness. And through that barrenness situation, Jacob is produced. We have Jacob and Rachel dealing with barrenness. Through that process, Joseph is produced. We have Elkanah and Hannah dealing with barrenness. Through that process, Samuel is produced. We have Manoah and his unnamed wife dealing with barrenness. And through that process, Samson is produced. We have the Shunammite woman and her husband dealing with barrenness. And through that process, her son is produced, uh, who died later and you know, is, is raised from the dead by the prophet Elisha. We have Zechariah and Elizabeth in the New Testament dealing with barrenness. And through that process, John the Baptist is produced. Then, of course, this lands with the metaphoric woman in Isaiah 54, the barren woman, which is church, which is you and I. Basically, God says, well, there will always be the challenge of barrenness in producing the things of God. But if Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Rachel, Elkanah and Hannah, Manoah and his wife, the Shunammite woman and her husband, Zechariah and Elizabeth, have all dealt with barrenness, you and I can also equally deal with barrenness. Yep. The journey into the mission of God begins with confronting the spirit of barrenness. And that has nothing to do with your academics or, or in a natural circumstances. It has everything to do with life refusing to bear fruit according to the will of God. It's a frustration that a people pioneering the things of God must carry in a healthy manner inside of their own heart. Then we dealt with the fact that in growing in the mission of God, there has to be spiritual renewal. We have to be a renewed people. Renewed. And renewed in our devotion, renewed in our faith, renewed in our conviction. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. So, and reading this from the Passion Translation. No wonder we give up. We don't give up, sorry. For even though our outer person gradually wears out, in other words, life is progressing. I'm growing old, older and older. I'm celebrating birthdays. You know, like Kiara just celebrated her birthday. It's like, so he says, even though I keep celebrating birthdays, but my inner being is renewed in every single day. And that word renewed being a key word there. The word it means qualitative newness. It's not cosmetic newness, which is what you know, we tend to look out for. Qualitative newness is us changing the cosmetics of life to try and produce newness. But qualitative, in a sort of quantitative newness or cosmetic newness, is us trying to change the externals to try and produce a sense, an illusion of newness. But qualitative newness is your spirit changing. It is God forming within your own heart. And that's what we want. Qualitative newness. We're being made new every single day. We want renewed people in LSA. Not fatigued people. Renewed. Renewed. 
qualitatively renewed people. Not fatigued, not stale, not looking old, but renewed. Renewed. Qualitative newness. And I wanted to add a scripture today to that principle of uh, uh, spiritual renewal in the mission of God. Isaiah 40 verses 28 to 31. Isaiah 40 verses 28 to 31. Isaiah 40 verses 28 to 31. Says this, do you know? Do uh, Do you not know? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. Now that's the nature of God. That's the quality of God. He will not grow tired or weary. And I read that as well, that's God. That's the aspect of God. That's the nature of God. And his understanding, no one can fathom. Then it says this in verse 29. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. So not only will, not, will God not grow tired or weary. What does it do in verse 29? It gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. And it says in verse 30, even youths grow tired and weary. So in other words, the best of natural process will still land us in fatigue. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will what? Renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I think that's the kind of people I want. That's the kind of people God wants. But how beautiful this scripture beginning with God does not grow tired or weary. Yeah? Yeah? That's the nature of God. But secondly, he imparts that same quality to us. Provided we will wait on him. Those who hope in the Lord. Another translation says, those who wait upon the Lord. To hope or to wait upon the Lord means this, LSA. It means to order your life's activities around a future event. To order your life's activities around a future event. In other words, to wait or to hope on the, uh, to wait in the Lord or to hope in the Lord does not describe a passive person that is trying to get to church meetings and is fatigued. It's been a long year. He's talking about someone who is actively in pursuit of a promise of God. To order your activities around a future event. To order your activities. To order your life in the current moment around a future event. Around a thing that God has promised. So I will order my life. My decision making process. My choices. My friendships. My, you know, my praying. All of those things are informed by... Or they are, I'm being pulled into a future by a promise of the Lord. To order your activities around a future event. It means to wait in a sense of looking for something. 
to wait in a sense of looking for something. So um, if, if you're waiting for a friend, and maybe you're going to pick a friend at the airport, you know the friend, right? And the plane, lay, the plane, uh, the plane lands and people start coming out. Uh, you, you know who you're looking for. Yeah. I mean, if you were, um, uh, um, you know, uh, guy, you, 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 have, you are in a relationship, you have a fiance, and, and, and she's coming to town, right? Waiting for her. And people start offloading, you know, start coming out of the plane through the airport. You know, you, you, you're not just looking for any lady there. Huh? You're looking for that particular person. No other beauty will distract you. In other words, I think we have distracted believers. Just, just the next beautiful thing that's going to appear, I'm going to go for it. Because, you know, sometimes we're looking, for, we're looking for meaning. We're looking for in an unhealthy way. We're looking for purpose. And so anything that seems, ah, oh, it looks like this thing is going to give me prominence. I'm going to go for it. No, no, no. To wait upon the Lord is, I am waiting for that particular face, for that particular fiance. I'm not waiting just for any other thing. So I'm specific in my posture. There, there, is, a, there is intention in my waiting. I'm not, my waiting is not a passive waiting. I'm not waiting for the next great thing that might happen, but for a specific thing that the Lord has promised to me. It means I have the power to reject things. Yeah? Because I'm waiting for something. It means, have you, heard, have you read in the word of God where people were sent on a mission, I think Jesus even does this with, uh, with the disciples, and he would say to them, don't greet anybody along the way. And, and it carries a principle. You can read that like it sounds unsocial to give somebody that instruction, but actually it carries a principle of do not be distracted along the way. Get to the mission. Complete the mission, and then, and then you can relax. And so the problem is when we just, we're looking and our waiting is we're waiting for anything. But those who hope in the Lord are those who are waiting for a specific thing that the Lord has promised them concerning a future in Christ. And so we gear our lives, we mobilize our lives towards that particular thing. Our choices are informed by that particular thing that God has promised inside of us. Why would we wait for God like that? Because God does not lie, right? He will fulfill his promise. Those, those who hope in the Lord, that what to hope in the Lord means to order my current activities of life around a future event. To wait with a sense of looking for something specific. In other words, it is to have a pursuit. If you wanted to paraphrase that word, you could, you could say, those who pursue the promises of the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So people growing the mission of God must demonstrate inner spiritual renewal because they're waiting on the promises of God. They're waiting on the promises of God. Waiting on the promises of God. I think, I think the other thing that has to happen as we grow in the mission of God is that our vision and revelation must reflect integrity more and more. Our vision and our revelation must reflect integrity 
more and more. The more we wait, the more we grow in the things of God, the more there has to be integrity in our vision and in our revelation. 1 Corinthians 13 verses 11 to 12. 1 Corinthians 13 verses 11 to 12. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. There is a, a thing that Paul calls to know fully, to come to a place of integrity, of, of fullness of revelation. We're not growing into confusion. We're not teaching strange things as we grow in the mission. Our, in, our revelation and vision are reflecting integrity more and more. And so, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. The other way of looking at the scriptures in Mark chapter 8, I think I will end with this. In Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to, 20, uh, to 27. Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 27. This is the healing of a man who was born, well, I mean, who was blind. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out, outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see. Let's say I see. I see people. They look like trees walking around. And I was reading the next verse. Jesus seems to ignore this man completely. So the man confidently responds, I see. And Jesus says in verse 25, once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His, his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. And Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi or Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? And of course, that links to the whole birthing of the concept of church. Very interesting that Jesus introduces the church conversation, the context of this miracle of a blind man. And so the blind man is being healed, but he's being healed progressively. You know, some miracles happen instantly. Some miracles happen over time. So he, this man is being healed. And I love verse 24 when he says confidently, I see. But Jesus seems to ignore his confident answer of sight. Once more in verse 25, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. I see. I see people, they look like trees walking around. So the evidence of the quality of his sight was in his testimony. The evidence of the quality of his sight was in his testimony. Even though he declared, I see, but the description of what he was seeing was telling Jesus, you don't really see. It's like when you're going to an opt optometrist and he has all these uh, objects that you have to see and and he's not focusing on the objects. He's focusing on your eyesight. Oftentimes, it's not life around us that has to be changed as it is the quality of our sight. 
how we see people, how we see situations, how we see reality around us, has everything with us changing more than life around us changing. So once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. Now it's interesting. And he saw everything clearly. This is after the man declared, I see. And then he says his sight was restored. Is it possible for us to think that we see when we still have to have our sight restored by the Lord? So the integrity of revelation and vision and revelation, I think is important for me. It's a sign of a people growing in the mission of God that we can see clearly as God wants us to see. The church in Laodicea was counseled by Jesus to come to him to regain his sight. This church in Laodicea, they said, we can see. How interesting is that? Like, like the blind man, we can declare often time. It's like you want to go to the optometrist and you, you, you know, he puts you on that telescope. You, and man, you want to see that E, that letter E. And it looks like F. And you start guessing. And he says, what are you seeing? I say, F. And you check him, uh, E. You know, and you're just guessing. Because you want, you want, you want, you want, you want, <laughs> you want to be seen to be someone who has quality sight. And so like this man, I see people. But actually later in verse 25, his sight is, re- is restored and he sees everything clearly. That's where we want to be. To see everything clearly. So we want God to open up our eyes. There has to be integrity of revelation and vision, LSA. And the integrity of revelation and vision is, in, is reflected in our testimony. Not in the claims we have about our sight. It's got to be reflected in our testimony. So in my articulations is a reflection of the quality of what I see. That's the only way Jesus could test this man's sight. It's the only way the optometrist can test you and I. In my proclamations, in my articulations, is is the evidence of the quality or the state of my sight. And so if you want to know whether someone sees and what their quality is like, just have a conversation with them. Find out, you know, what, 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 what is their reality? What are they seeing? This is what Jesus did. Because if the blind man has his eyes opened and he looks like he's seeing, but actually sees nothing. And Jesus says, okay, tell me, what are you seeing? I see people like walking trees. Like what kind of reality is that? Once more. That's where we want to be, LSA, in verse 25. Once more, Jesus touching our eyes. Once more. The quality of our sight. Integrity of revelation and vision, I think is very, very important. The things we articulate, the things we teach, our doctrine, all these things are absolutely important. Let's stand and pray. It's going for two o'clock.